This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion, one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. In case you forgot, after all my breaks this summer, I am Jeremy Myers, the host of this podcast show. Have you ever heard a woman say that the reason women experienced pain in childbearing is because God cursed Eve? In other words, have you ever heard someone blame God for the pain, or blame Eve for that matter, for the pain that women experience in giving birth? Well, we're going to see some surprising truths about this idea today. It comes from Genesis 3.16. That's the verse we're looking at. Just the first half of the verse, actually. We'll save the next half for next time. I do want to give you fair warning, though. Today's discussion is rated PG-13. Maybe R. I don't know. PG-13, I guess. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how these ratings work. Uh, I, I just want to give fair warning. A small part, a couple lines or two, a couple sentences of this episode may not be appropriate, entirely appropriate, for younger children. Uh, Before we get to our study today, though, I do want to invite you to subscribe to my email newsletter. I have some really exciting news coming out in September. Some events, something I've been working on, uh, probably the biggest project of my blogging uh, life, (laughs) last 10 years or so, and uh, I want to share it with you. Best way to do that is for you to be on my email newsletter. It's free. Join thousands of others already on that list. And uh, just by joining, I'm going to send you some free ebooks. Uh, and you'll also be lo- uh, the first to learn about future ebooks I put out and also this exciting development that I've got going here in uh, September that I will be announcing there. So uh, join the email newsletter. You'll be the first to hear about this new exciting area of ministry. I'm pretty excited about it, and I think you will be too. I'm launching it in September, so there's still a couple weeks left. Join me there. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash subscribe. Redeeminggod.com slash subscribe. Enter your name, email address, submit it. It's that simple. Okay, you'll get a free ebook from me. And as soon as I have something more to say about this exciting development in September, it'll show up in your inbox. (laughs) All right, sounds good. See you then. We'll pick up in uh, Genesis 3.16 here in just a second. All right, so what we have in Genesis 3.16 is the two consequences that come upon Eve as a result of her choosing to go her own way. The verse says this. Let's just read it for a little bit of context. Uh, Remember, in uh, 3.15, God spoke to the serpent about the consequences, what would happen to the serpent as a result of deceiving Eve. And then in Genesis 3.17, God is going to turn and talk to the man. But in Genesis 3.16, he's speaking to the woman and he says this. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So there's really two consequences that God mentions in this verse. And the first is in relation to Eve's childbearing. 
And the second is in relation to her marriage. Now, uh, due to how important and misunderstood these two consequences are for life and theology, I'm, I'm going to break them up into two different episodes. We're going to cover the first consequence in this episode and then the next uh, consequence in the next episode. That will likely be published in two weeks' time. Hopefully, come September, I will also be able to get back to a regular podcasting schedule of every week, but we will see with everything I got going on. Anyway, we're going to be looking at the pain of childbearing today and then the pain of marriage in the next episode. Now, uh, as we begin talking about the first part of Genesis 3.16, I I want to begin by pointing out that the pain in childbearing is not a curse from God upon woman. Now, I I say that as a man. I was previewing this uh, passage with my wife a few months ago. I've been studying it for a while like that. And uh, I told her that the pain in childbearing was not a curse from God. She just laughed and she said, only a man can say that. (laughs) Uh, You women, uh, you probably agree with her. Yes, it's true. I have never experienced the pain of childbearing. I've witnessed it, and it looks excruciatingly painful. When my wife was giving birth the first time, I vividly remember her squeezing my hand so hard I thought the bones in my hand were going to break. Now, uh, I was smart enough not to mention at the time how much she was hurting my hand. (laughs) Smart man, right? Um, I don't think she would have taken that comment very well uh, as she was experiencing the pain of childbirth. My hand survived, by the way. No no broken bones of any sort. Um, second time she gave birth, I fainted. <laughs> uh, that's right. It's the only time in my life I have ever fainted. I uh, passed out pretty much cold right there on the delivery room floor. Uh, doctors and nurses, they had... Uh, other things to deal with at the time, so they just left me there. I was only out for a second or two, and um, so I wasn't really in the way too much. But I did faint just because of uh, what was going on. <laughs> uh, anyway, when I say that God did not curse women with pain and childbearing, I am not at all, listen listen to me, women, I am not at all trying to diminish the pain you experience in childbearing. I am not at all saying that childbearing is not painful. Uh, By every indication, giving birth appears to be terribly painful. And yet, after much study and research, I have several things to point out to you from the first part of Genesis 3.16. And first, I can say with absolute certainty that Genesis 3.16 does not contain any kind of curse upon women. All right, we'll, we'll look at that. Second, whatever Genesis 3.16 is talking about, it is not being inflicted by God upon women. And finally, what we're going to see today in today's episode is that uh, Genesis 3.16 is not actually talking about physical pain of childbirth at all. All right, so those are the three things I want to show to you from the first half of Genesis 3.16. Let's talk about this first idea that Genesis 3.16 does not contain a curse upon woman. Now, uh, I've said before on this podcast, previous episodes, and on my blog, that God does not punish and he does not curse. does not curse people. And that same truth is seen here in Genesis 3.16. We'll see also in Genesis 3.17, when God speaks to Adam, 
But here, God is not vindictively inflicting pain on Eve and all women who come after her. Um, and, and we see that because right here in the verse, look at, look at it for yourself, the word curse is not even mentioned. Uh, nothing whatsoever is mentioned in Genesis 3.16 about a curse. Uh, again, the word curse was mentioned in Genesis 3.15. It will also be mentioned in Genesis 3.17 when God speaks to Adam. But here, when God speaks to Eve, there is no hint, uh, reference, mention, implication of a curse. There is no curse upon women women. In Genesis 3.16, God does not curse Eve. God does not curse women. There's one scholar I'm aware of who claims to have found eight or nine curses upon women in Genesis 3.16, but that interpretation has absolutely zero basis in the Hebrew text. Read the text yourself. Just go look at it with an open mind. Forget everything that pastors and theologians have told you about what God tells women in Genesis 3.16. There's no mention of a curse. There's not. It's not there. God does not curse. He does not punish. Now, uh, and I'm going to prove this from the text today, but I want to point out that, that some religious people might take exception to this entire line of argument. I mean, after all, religion tells us God must punish sin, right? God hates sin. His wrath burns against sin and sinners. You know, he aches to be poured out, you know, on the, on the horrible sinners of the earth. And uh, as a result of that line of thinking, that way of thinking about God, which does not match up with Jesus at all, by the way, some religious leaders argue that it's only just, it's only right, it's only fair for women to experience excruciating pain and torture in childbearing because, you know, this is just a reminder to all of us about how horrible sin is and the ruin that Eve brought upon the world. Uh, Did you know, in fact, that because of that line of reasoning, that line of theological argument right there, that When anesthesiology first began to be used in childbearing in the mid-19th century, guess who were the most vocal opponents of anesthesiology for childbearing? (laughs) You guessed it. Religious leaders, the clergy. Uh, Male, of course, said that since God cursed women with pain in childbearing, it was a sin for a woman to try to dull this pain. Because, you know, this would be a vain human attempt to avoid the divinely bestowed consequences for our sin. (laughs) Ah, religion, Uh, male pastors, I'm one of them, I know, right? This is just another sad example from the history of the church where we use a poor understanding of a biblical text to support a poor understanding of God, and then we use these poor understandings of Scripture and, and God to cause abuse upon other people, especially women. In this case, all right, uh, we made God in our own image. We wanted to make uh, women into a scapegoat for the sins of the world, and so we do that with this verse. And we use God. Uh, we make God in our own image. You know, well, we uh, accuse and condemn these certain people as guilty, and so He does too. So, so God, you know, He wants to hate and hurt other people just like we do. And then we we use these texts, Genesis three sixteen, to support this false portrait of God. Look, as I've pointed out in previous episodes on my blog, in my books, 
especially in my book, The Atonement of God, the best way to understand God is to look at Jesus. If you want to see what God is like, just look at Jesus. He reveals God to us. And none of us, I hope, can ever imagine Jesus torturing women or even inflicting pain upon women. No, every time in the Gospels when God interacts with women, it is to heal them, rescue them, comfort them, protect them. Jesus uh, does not inflict pain upon women. He does not torture women. And because Jesus doesn't, neither does God. God is not a cosmic abuser of women. And not just women, but but men and children as well. I, I do not believe God inflicts pain on human beings. God is not a torturer. Yes, yes, I'm not denying pain. Yes, we experience pain in life. But this pain never comes from God. Okay, we could get in a whole discussion here actually about pain. Now that I say that, it's probably slightly strongly worded. God does discipline those he loves. Okay, I know people like to quote that verse on and on. Okay, we're getting off on a rabbit trail here. But the point is, uh, pain, the type of pain we often think of as pain, um, it, it, comes as, it, it, it comes as a result of sin and death being introduced into the world. It does not come as a result of God inflicting it upon us. Yes, uh, pain is in life. Yes, women experience great pain in childbearing. But this pain does not come from God. It was not inflicted by God. Okay? So, uh, the word curse is not mentioned in Genesis 3.16. And so, the pain that women experience is not a curse that comes from God. Okay, but wait, you might say, all right, fine, Jeremy, it's not a curse so much, but the pain itself does come from God, doesn't it? Uh, God says to Eve in Genesis 3.16, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbearing. Right? Uh, Isn't that, it's not a curse so much, but isn't, isn't that clear sign that the pain is coming from God, that God is sending the pain? Is God inflicting pain on women? Again, I'm going to argue no, and I argue this for two reasons. First, we must understand Genesis 3.16 is not a statement of what God is going to do. Rather, it's, uh, you need to understand it more as a, a sentence, like of a judge. He's, he's proclaiming the sentence. Uh, in Genesis 3.16, God is acting, he is acting like a judge. He is pronouncing a sentence. Uh, he's, he's naming, remember naming is one of the seven key activities of God, and judging or naming, seeing things, calling things as they really are, is something God does, something God invites humans to do as well, all right? So uh, here in Genesis 3.16, God is naming or judging or explaining to Eve the consequences of her decisions. He's just speaking truth to her. He himself is not inflicting these consequences, Uh, even though God's use of words seems to give that impression. Here's how to understand his words. Uh, Think of it this way. If a person robs a bank and is arrested and is found to be guilty at the trial, the judge will pronounce a sentence on the bank robber. The judge might say something like this. "Uh, As a result of being convicted of robbery, I am sending you to prison for a period of 10 years. Or something like that. I'm not quite sure of the legal terminology. But the point is that in such a case... Can the bank robber 
say that the judge sent him to prison? Well, not really. The the bank robber sent himself to prison, first of all, by robbing a bank. Uh, And then they went to trial, and the jury heard the heard the evidence and you know decided that he was guilty and so the judge is only explaining the consequences of the robber's actions right when when he pronounces the sentence he's not he's not inflicting something upon the robber the robber brought that upon himself and and furthermore even after the sentence is pronounced it's not actually the judge who carries out the sentence and performs the actions related to the sentence. The judge doesn't, you know, handcuff the robber and then drive him down to the prison, lock him in a cell, and then keep watch over him for 10 years. No, even though the judge might say, I am sending you to prison for 10 years, the judge isn't doing any of those actions. Uh, Really what the judge is is doing, or all he's saying when he says, I am sending you to prison, what the judge is actually saying is because you robbed a bank, you will spend the next 10 years behind bars, right? That's what the judge is saying. And, And I think that is sort of how to understand God's words to Eve here. God is not saying that he personally is going to inflict pain on Eve. God is not an abuser of women. We know that from Jesus. Instead, what God is actually saying is, like the judge telling the robber what's going to happen, because of what has happened, you will now experience pain. That's how to understand the first part of Genesis 3.16. God is not punishing Eve. He's simply describing to her the natural consequences of what happened in the garden. And this brings me to the next point, which proves that God is not inflicting pain on women. Although God tells Eve what will happen to her, God does not blame or accuse Eve in any way, shape, or form. I think this is so beautiful to notice this in the text. A careful reading of the text reveals that quite unlike Adam, quite unlike all of us, most of humanity, God does not blame Eve for doing anything wrong. God does not accuse her of any wrongdoing. When God confronts the serpent, look at this, when God confronts the serpent in Genesis 3, he basically says, because you have done this, okay, and then he goes on to tell the serpent what will happen uh, because of what he did, all right? And then in Genesis 3, 6, 17, when God turns to Adam to talk to him, he basically says, not with the exact same words, but you go look at it, Uh, God basically says, because you have done this, and then he goes on to tell Adam what the consequences of his actions will be, all right? But here, when God speaks to Eve, he does not say, because you have done this, right? There's nothing of that sort in the text. God does not indicate that she did anything wrong. In Genesis 3.16, although God does tell Eve what is going to happen to her, God doesn't curse her. God doesn't blame her. God doesn't even indicate that Eve did anything wrong. And 
you might say, yeah, but she's the one who ate, ate fruit from the tree first. I understand all that, but you, you got to go back and listen to some of the previous conversations about scapegoating Eve and, and where they did eat from the tree. And and it's, it's likely, you know, Adam gave her false information. So it's Adam's. Okay, we, we talked about all of that in previous episodes. So ultimately, when it finally comes down to it, from God's perspective, Eve did nothing wrong. And I find this so beautiful because even though Eve is universally blamed, scapegoated, for what happened to humanity, even though she's blamed by her very own husband, and even though lots of people today blame her, and even though women, when when you give birth, you curse the name of Eve, <laughs> with understanding, I understand, okay, God does not blame her for anything. God does not curse her. God does not even indicate that she has done anything wrong. Yes, God tells her what the consequences will be, what is going to happen to her, but God does not tell her that these consequences are a result of anything she herself has done. God withholds all judgment, condemnation, and blame. God accuses Eve of absolutely nothing. I think if, if you want a proper reading of Genesis 3.16, don't picture God here as a stern judge with a scowl on his face, accusing, condemning these idiot sinners. No. God has concern on his face and tears in his eyes as he explains to Eve what is going to happen to her. He's on her side, right? He says to the servant and Adam, because you have done this, and again, I don't think that's with a scowl, I don't think that's with anger, okay? but he says nothing of the sort to Eve. He's a gentle, loving father coming to Eve here and saying, here's what's going to happen. I'm sorry. God is not scapegoating Eve. He does not join in the scapegoating at all. And there's so many truths to this. When you experience pain in life, our, our, we always want to say, God, why are you doing this? I mean, God isn't. He's with us there in the pain, right? Uh, trying to protect us from it, warn us about it. So anyway, we've seen that God does not curse Eve, that he does not inflict pain, the pain on Eve. He doesn't even accuse her of having done anything wrong. So why then does God announce that Eve's pain will greatly increase? In the New King James, it says, uh, greatly multiply. Uh, In fact, the word multiply is used twice in the Hebrew text. God says, uh, it's it's harba arba. (laughs) That's the the Hebrew there. Harba arba. You can sort of hear that there. uh, God, God is basically telling Eve she will experience great, great pain. A multiplied multiplication of pain. So, so what's the deal with this pain? Let's turn thirdly, finally, to look at this pain, um, and we'll, we'll see the really pain. Really, is the main issue in this first half of Genesis three sixteen, and it is what trips most people up. So, let us just sort of close out, look at this uh, it question of pain as we close out this uh, this episode of the One Verse Podcast. What about the pain? And to discover what Genesis 3.16 is really saying about this pain, there, there are two things I want you to notice from the text. Uh, and, and these two facts are very strange. <laughs> but when we step back from the text and think about it, we realize Genesis 3.16 has simply been widely misunderstood, misapplied, especially by religious people, and that it is teaching something that just makes much more sense. 
<laughs> when, be, when viewed both from the wider context of Genesis, what we know about the character of God, and really what we know about life in general, our actual experience in life. All right, so, so first, let us consider the, the terms childbearing in the text. Uh, Genesis 3.16 actually contains two different terms related to childbearing. In the New King James Version, which is the version I use, the first word is translated as conception, and the second word is translated as bringing forth children. Now, I don't know what English translation you might be using, but it might say childbirth, giving birth, childbearing, right? Something of the sort. So, uh, what are the two words and what do they mean? Well, the first word... It's uh, typically translated as conception or pregnancy. It's the Hebrew word vehiranek or vehiranik, depending on how you say it. Vehiranik. And guess what? Uh, the word does not primarily refer to the birthing process itself, to delivery, to labor. Instead, all right, and, and here's a couple lines, children in the room, cover their ears. It refers to sexual intercourse. <laughs> uh, it refers to conception. And that's why New King James correctly translated as conception. And in fact, I looked it up. Hebrew lexicon said one possible translation of this word, vehiteronik, is sensory pleasure. Hmm. <laughs> I told you it was strange, right? What we have here in the first part of verse 16 is God saying, I will greatly multiply your pain in sexual intercourse. (laughs) Okay, again, I'm not a woman. And uh, while I have heard that there can be some discomfort in intercourse, especially the first couple times, I don't think that most women would describe intercourse as exceedingly, excessively painful. (laughs) Uh, So what is God talking about here? Well, we'll come back to that, all right? Uh, We'll look at the pain in just a minute. But let us first consider that second term for childbirth in the next clause of the verse. The text says, In pain you will bring forth children. So bringing forth children. The first word, vehiteronik, referred to conception. What about the second word later in the verse? often gets translated as giving birth or bringing forth children. Well, the word used here is yalad, yalad, and it does refer to the childbirth process, to the delivery, and this is the typical word for childbearing. It does not refer to child rearing. I thought for a minute as I was studying this, maybe it could be translated as child rearing because there's lots of frustration, pain, sorrow in bringing children up in the world, right? But it doesn't. It refers, it does not refer to raising a child up in the world. It really does refer to bringing a child into the world, to the delivery process, to labor. Now, uh, and we do all know that this is where pain is experienced, that the, the, the pain that women experience in giving birth, in labor, in child delivery is quite great. Okay, so this, this second, this second uh, phrase, clause of verse 16, is referring to the delivery process. But the thing is, there's something strange about the text here. This second pain, the pain of childbirth, is not described as being greatly multiplied. The first pain is said to be greatly multiplied. Harba arba, remember? That's the Hebrew. Uh, the second pain is just stated as being painful. It's not described as being greatly multiplied. 
Now, women, uh, um, well, look, based on what we've seen, let's, let's look at the verse, a, a, a good translation. And basically, when God comes to Eve in Genesis 3.16, uh, we, we could translate it this way. God says to the woman, I will greatly increase and multiply your pain in sexual intercourse, and you will also have some pain in childbirth. <laughs> okay, women, now let me ask you. If you could choose between intercourse and child delivery, which would you choose? (laughs) Uh, I I think we all know the answer to that. So, what is going on in the text? I told you it was strange, isn't it? What is God talking about? Why does God God seem to be saying the, the exact opposite of what women actually experience? Well, I have these same questions, and, and so um, I looked at the word for pain next. This is what the word I studied next in the verse. And at first, I thought, uh, well, look, I, I saw some surprising facts about the word for childbearing. And at, at first, I thought that, well, there's two words for childbearing, and so maybe there's two words for pain here. You know, maybe uh, this first word is discomfort, or as the New King James has it, sorrow. It translates it as sorrow. And um, and so the second word maybe means pain, and maybe it's a stronger, you know, more physical, excruciating type of pain. You know, I thought maybe, look, there's two words for childbearing, there must be two words for pain. Uh, so I looked up the Hebrew text, and I found something shocking, uh, even though it is not at all what I expected. First, I discovered that there are not two Hebrew words for pain used here in Genesis 3.16. The the two words are basically the same. They have some different prefixes and suffixes, but they come from the same root word. Uh, The first word is itzvonek. Itzvonek. And the second word is betsev. All right, so you can hear the similar itzev in both words, which is the root of the word. And uh, the word itzev can be translated as pain, that's fine, distress, toil, or hardship. Pain, distress, toil, or hardship. So, although the New King James translation has two different English words, sorrow and pain, uh, most other English translations probably do a little bit better there, and uh, they translate that one word as pain in both places. So, that was sort of a dead end, at least I thought. Okay, and uh, I thought, well, let's look at how this word is used. So I did some research on how this Hebrew word, itsev, is used elsewhere. And I discovered that while it can refer to physical pain, it, this is not the most common way the word is used. Instead, the word can refer to emotional or psychological difficulty rather than to physical difficulty. Um, Later in uh, Genesis, for example, the brothers of Joseph experience great distress when they recognize that Joseph is second in command in Egypt. Remember that they go there to buy grain and and, uh, the cup is put in in Benjamin's sack and they are afraid that that, that the king, Pharaoh's right-hand man, is going to imprison, and they discover it's Joseph, and that only increases, oh my word, we sold this guy into slavery, and now he's in charge, he can get retaliation and revenge. Okay, so they are afraid. They're in great distress. So that's the word there, it's Ev. But do you know what else? (laughs) And this was a shock to me. 
uh, I discovered something that caused the bottom to fall out of all traditional understandings of Genesis 3.16. The word itzavanek, which is in the first part of Genesis 3.16, when God says to Eve, I will greatly multiply your pain, itzavanek, in conception. This is the exact word used in the very next verse in Genesis 3.17, when God says to Adam, In toil you shall eat from the fruit of the ground. Right? This word also is then used in Genesis 5.29, when Lamech has a son and names him Noah, and says that Noah will be the one who will finally deliver mankind from the toil on the ground. In both cases, the word used is the exact same word used here in Genesis 3.16 to describe the painful experience of women. <laughs> Do you understand the ramifications of this? All right, when we see that the word used here in Genesis 3.16 to describe the experience of women is the same word used in Genesis 3.17 to describe the experience of men, the only conclusion we can logically come to is that whatever experience is being described, it is shared by both men and women. Okay? In other words, whatever is being described in Genesis 3.16, it cannot be describing the piercing agony and pain that women experience in childbearing, for there is absolutely no way to say that men experience this same pain when we go out and dig in the dirt to bring forth fruit from the ground. Okay, men, if you've ever worked in your garden, dug a hole, planted a tree, okay, you might complain and moan and groan and sweat and toil, and your muscles, if you don't work out, might ache a little bit the next day. But we all know that that is not even close to the same amount of pain a woman experienced in childbirth. And yet, the same exact word is used in both verses to describe the experience of men and women. Women, I am not at all saying that child delivery doesn't hurt. I cannot imagine how much it must hurt. Right? What I'm saying is that the physical pain of childbearing is not in view in Genesis 3.16. All right, the same exact word is used in Genesis 3.17 to describe the experience of men working in the fields. And so if we say that excruciating pain of child delivery is what Genesis 3.16 is talking about, then we must also say that men experience the same pain when they go out and work in the fields. And that's clearly wrong. So the only alternative is to say that the word itzavanek okay, is not talking about the excruciating physical pain of childbearing at all. Look at this another way. Uh, if Moses had actually wanted to talk about the physical pain of childbearing, there were plenty of good Hebrew words he could have used. There's the word hebel, uh, which typically refers to the pains of childbearing. Lots of other contexts. Or the word seer, S-I-Y-R, which also refers to birth pains. Or even Hael, or heel, which is associated with the strong pain that women experience giving birth. All right? uh, and, and those three words are used all over the place in the Bibles to refer specifically to the excruciating pain that women experience in childbearing. But the word used, Moses uses here is not the typical word used to describe the painful experience of women in childbearing. 
Uh, instead, it's used in various other ways to refer to toil, hardship, sorrow, trouble. All right, and that exact same word is used to describe the toil, hardship, trials, troubles that Adam experiences in working the ground in Genesis 3.17. So what does this mean? All right, I told you the insights from this verse were strange. What does it mean, though? Well, it certainly doesn't mean there's no pain in child delivery. Of course there is. There's great pain in child delivery. But guess what? Genesis 3.16 is not talking about that physical pain. It's instead talking about some other type of experience, painful experience. And whatever it is, it must be something that women experience as part of conception and delivery and which both men and women experience. For Adam is said to experience it as well when he goes and works in the fields. So with all this in mind, I think the best way to translate the word itzavanik in Genesis 3.16 is turmoil, or maybe trouble, or even toil. It's translated as toil in Genesis 3.17. And when translated similarly here, we have God telling Eve that in great turmoil and trouble, she will conceive and bring forth children. Uh, The last half of Genesis 3.16 talks about some trouble that Eve will experience in her relationship with her husband as well, which again, we'll talk about next time, but I want to just mention it here because what we see in Genesis 3.16 then in the first half and the second half is that Eve is going to experience great frustration and trouble in two areas, in having children and in working with her husband, in ruling the world with her husband. Genesis 3.16 is teaching that as a result of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, women will experience trouble and turmoil and frustration in her sexual interactions with her husband, in bearing children, and in co-ruling the world with her husband. And once I saw that, it hit me. Hey, (laughs) these two areas that Genesis 3.16 is talking about, are the exact two areas that God told Adam and Eve to do way back in Genesis 128. Do you remember what we saw in that text? There were two basic activities God wanted humans to be involved in. They were to first be fruitful and multiply, which means having sex and making children. And second, they were to rule together over the earth, tend to the plants and animals. God told the man and the woman that as his image bearers on earth, they were to have children and rule the earth together. And these two activities are now the focus of what God says here in Genesis 3.16. Both activities are now going to be sources of great difficulty and frustration For the woman, the first part of verse 616, which we've looked at today, focuses on the difficulty women will face in the sexual relationship with men, in conceiving and bringing forth children. And it's not physical pain God's talking about here, but the toil, the hardship, the distress, the trouble that women experience in their attempts to conceive and bring forth children. And in the second aspect, the hardship that will come to women in relation to their joint rulership over the earth with men. We'll talk about that next time when we look at the second half of Genesis 3.16. Okay, So, 
Women, you experience this pain, this toil, this difficulty, uh, in trouble, in hardship, in, in bringing forth children. It begins in the conception process with the trouble and the, the, the frustration uh, of maybe not being able to conceive. or uh, There's just a wide variety of things involved there that, that cause trouble and toil and hardship. And again, we could go back and say, well, how could it ever have been different? And that's the thing. We don't know. We don't know how it ever could have been different. We don't know what, God, what things God had put in place to, to make it better, to make it less difficult. I don't know. We could all speculate on, on what God could have done. <laughs> we just don't know. I mean, maybe you could have been control, better in control of your monthly cycles. I don't know. You know, it's just maybe we could have uh, men. One of the great frustrations men and women have in our relationships is the inability to read each other's minds. Maybe we could have done that. We just don't know what we lost, what consequences exactly we lost when we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God, he's not inflicting pain on the women here or women in general. He's not a cosmic abuser of women. He's just saying, he's crying with Eve saying, oh, here's what's going to happen. I gave you these two things to do. Have children, rule the world with your husband. <laughs> it's going to be difficult now. I'm sorry, but that's what's going to happen. That's Genesis 3.16, or at least the first half of it. What would you think? <laughs> I hope it's a little more encouraging than the normal way people teach Genesis 3.16, right? I mean, the way this verse is often taught, we see God beating up on women, punishing, hurting them because of what Eve did. And that sort of idea has led to many terrible abuses of women by men and by the church. I hope you can see such an idea is not taught anywhere in the text. God does not curse women. He does not hurt women. He does not inflict pain on women. And this allows us to see something about God here. Genesis 3.16 allows God to look an awful lot more like Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Not a vindictive, hateful, vengeful, violent God at all. A God who steps into the pain with Eve and says, Oh, I'm sorry. Let me walk through this with you. We're going to see the same thing next time when we look at the second half of Genesis 3.16. Please make sure you join us for that. And by the way, if this, if this podcast was helpful and encouraging to you, please consider sharing it with others. Let them know about it. Invite them to subscribe. Listen as well. And also, if you get a chance, sign up for my email newsletter at redeeminggod.com slash subscribe. Invite others to do the same. You know, I'm going to be putting out some helpful and encouraging items for you later on this year. I don't want you to miss out on them. And especially this exciting new direction, event, uh, project I've been working on for, well, about a year now, I guess making some announcements about that in September. So just go to redeeminggod.com slash subscribe, enter your name and email address, click on the button, and uh, you'll be in. You'll be part of the thousands of others who are already there. Thank you so much for listening. Can't wait to see you next time when we look at the second half of Genesis 3.16. See you then. See you then.